Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Sphere and then discuss it. This is page 753. He would not bother with precautions such as this, but Retha was his finest student, and she could read the wind just as well as he. He took with him his bow of horn. He took with him his sharp and single arrow. Then Retha chose her place to stand. She walked to the top of a high hill, her outline clear against the naked sky. She carried neither bow nor arrow, and when she reached the top of the hill, she sat calmly on the ground. This was perhaps the oddest thing of all, as Aetha was known to sometimes strike a foe through the leg rather than kill them. Aetha saw his student do this, and he was filled with anger. Aetha took his single arrow and fitted it to his bow. Aetha drew the string against his ear. The string Retha had made for him, woven from the long, strong strands of her own hair. Shaheen met my eye. Full of anger, Aetha shot his arrow. It struck Retha like a thunderbolt. Here! She pointed with two fingers at the inner curve of her left breast. Still seated, arrow sprouting from her chest, Retha drew a long ribbon of white silk from beneath her shirt. She took a white feather from the arrow's fletching, dipped it in her blood, and wrote four lines of poetry. Then Retha held the ribbon aloft for a long moment, waiting as the wind pulled first one way, then another. Then Retha loosed it, the silk twisting through the air, rising and falling on the breeze. The ribbon, twisted in the wind, wove its way through the trees and pressed itself firmly against Aetha's chest. It read, Aetha, near my heart, without vanity, the ribbon, without duty, the wind, without blood, the victory. I heard a low noise and looked over to see Vashet weeping quietly to herself. Her head was lowered and tears ran down her face to drip deeper spots of red onto the front of her shirt. Shaheen continued, Only after Aetha read these lines did he recognize the deep wisdom his student possessed. He hurried to tend Retha's wounds, but the head of the arrow was lodged too close to her heart to be removed. Retha lived only three days after that, with the grief-stricken Aetha tending her. He gave her control of the school and listened to her words, all the while the head of the arrow riding close to her heart. During those days, Retha dictated nine and ninety stories, and Aetha... What he did, we won't know until tomorrow, because that's the end of the page. My name's Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. Sometimes I feel like people could solve their conflicts better if they just took a break. (laughs) That's how I feel about this story. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like I don't have a partner. Wait. Sometimes I feel like my only friend is the city I live in. Look, I don't really want to feel like I did that day. Take me to the place I love called The Podcast. Also, they're a bad band and you should feel bad for liking them. Uh, Shot. This is a namer duel. They are both namers. They both call the wind and they both use the wind to do different things. Aetha shoots the arrow. and Sorry, yeah. Aetha shoots the arrow and Retha sends the poem to him. Uh, and so this is part of why I wish I knew exactly what they were arguing about. I think that Jeremy's assumption inference you might even say is a pretty decent one that they're arguing over like the direction of the school and the way they should be using their power but it's not totally clear to me how Raytha's poem convinces him 
mm-hmm. this is one of those things that I think they know the poem verbatim, right? The, the Adem have a very good cultural memory. They're very good at preserving information and stories. So I don't doubt that these are the actual words of the poem. So I wish I knew the context of the argument so that I could understand better what it, what point Raytha is making. Something like, you know, we can use our powers to improve the world rather than being mercenaries and assassins, question mark. I feel like if, if we needed to know the story, we would. And I am actually very comfortable not knowing what they were arguing about and just letting this story be for now. Like I'm not, I feel like I'm not as invested maybe. Well, I think that's maybe because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're kind of less invested in trying to pick apart like the, the hidden meanings of things and solving the, the many mysteries in the book which I think Nick is more interested in doing. Fair, but yes. I, I'm here for the ride. But I think that something the story is doing is really clever because we understand, without understanding what they're arguing about, we understand the kind of, the message that the story is, the broad strokes of the message that the story has imparted to the Adam, like, you know, senseless violence and taking pride in killing is not right we cultivate these arts in ourselves for different reasons. And we need to be better than that. We need to teach ourselves to be wise or else we'll end up killing the people we love uh, and leading to like senseless slaughter for no good purpose. But I think that the fact that we don't know what it is they're arguing about precisely. And the fact that the poem is a little bit opaque allow for there to be subtle complexities of meaning that we are missing. And Furthermore, because we're hearing this story in a Turin, Shaheen is speaking in a Turin, those actually aren't the, they're a translation, right? And we know that the Adem language is much more layered and complex, like words can mean several things. So I'm sure that the poem in the Ademic is even more rich with several layers of meaning, which might give us a clue to what they were fighting about. And uh, I think that, that that is hidden from us deliberately, uh, which I think is just like a, a really clever piece of writing. But we also see how deeply felt this story is in Adam. Like Vashet is weeping to hear it, which, you know, puts me in mind of the way a, a particularly devout uh, Christian, for example, might be moved to tears at the story of like Christ's passion, right? Or like the 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 story of Easter. Uh, it has kind of a similar vibe to me. Now, if we're comfortable moving away from that angle, there is one piece of information on this page that jumped out to me straight away. Go for it. Raytha has a bow of horn. And we were just talking about those rings. Well, mm. who else had bows of horn? Oh, the Sitha had bows of horn, didn't they? Indeed. <laughs> so maybe there's some merit to my little crackpot theory that Aetha and Raetha are, are Sitha? Oh, yes. I think, Nick, we are we are predator handshake memeing right now. Uh, Raetha and Aetha are Saitha. They're They are the origins of those who guard against the, uh, the Cathay. 
that slaps. I love it. That means that there is a direct line from the Fae and the Sitha to the Adem and the Edamara. And that the Edamara have, you know, you know, the like, dereliction of duty or something like that, but like they they left and they've ceased to be martial. And that also means that they both have, or at least the Adem have some kind of cultural understanding of the importance of the Cathay and like action and right action, right? Maybe the 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 uh, Lathani originates as a way to countermand the actions of the Cathay. Mm. Or at least if you speak to it, but you also understand the Lathani, maybe you'll be able to avoid some of the damage that it causes through you. Yes. Mm. Yes, I it's love all, it. It's all connected. It's all part of the plan. Also, his uh, bowstring is made of her hair. Now, I, I'm, I'm no physicist, but I do not believe that human hair would make for a very good bowstring. Well, I think that's poetic license. I think that means to tell us that they are more than just teacher and pupil. Oh, yeah, they definitely bone down. Mm-hmm. As the Adam do. Naturally. Yes. Reasonable. Or I have a letter today. Mailbag. Our letter today is from John from Vintus, who writes on page 712. Hello, the pagers. Here to play Nick in absentia for page 712. When Quoth is accidentally speaking Edemic, he uses the words Skiopateus for I'm not speaking. Way back in chapter 37, Quoth tells Simon and Willem the story of an old beggar who comes across several different parties in his search for a warm place to spend the night. At one point, he says that his name is Skiop. I'll trust Nick to extrapolate the significance of this, as well as its potential connection to a character that is contemporary to Quoth, Scarpy. But for my own part, and some of you should see this coming because it's me, I offer you, ta-da, a parallel from the Bible. The story of a man in need being neglected on multiple fronts by those whom he could otherwise reasonably hope for aid, only to receive help from a representative of a reviled group, resonates strongly with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan has come to inevitably equate in our minds with someone who is simply willing to render unselfish assistance, but in Jesus' time, the metaphor was startling. It would be like recasting the roles of priest, Levite, and Samaritan with more recognizable uh, characters of pastor, church secretary, and Al-Qaeda fighter. Peace, signed John from Vintus. Thank you for pointing out the Skiop, uh, Skiopa connection. Uh, I think that we can, as you say here, we can infer that Skiopa means speaking, uh, and the character's name is Skiop. Also, if you Google Skiop, you will find that the word Skiop is an old Anglo-Saxon word for a bard or a musician, and it literally translates to speaker. Indeed. And as for the others, uh, other things, thank you for that insight. Uh, I was dimly aware of that, largely because of a bit from uh, Mitchell and Webb. But uh, it is true that the metaphor of the Good Samaritan is uh, indeed very relevant, and it has been muddied somewhat by overuse. The Samaritans were uh, considered, you know, reviled, lower class. You would not expect help from a Samaritan. But surprise, there is a Good Samaritan out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny how so many like terms from the Bible have become like divorced from their original meaning because we don't like the the word has fallen out of common usage, right? Like you the only context in which one understands the word Samaritan now is like one who does like good things for other people, right? 
because it's only associated with the Good Samaritan, not all those other guys. Same thing with like the Philistines. Or actually, my favorite one, Nimrod. Yeah, okay, Jeremy, you can tell. It's, it's actually Philistine's monster. Mm, that's right. So Nimrod, I first heard the word Nimrod in Bugs Bunny because Bugs Bunny is always calling Elmer Fudd Nimrod. And I think that now we understand the word Nimrod to mean like a dummy or like, you know, a fool. But Nimrod is a great hunter in the Bible. So he's actually like it's he's making like a pop culture joke about the fact that Elmer Fudd is a hunter. But because the kids today with their TikToks and their Pokemons aren't reading the good book, we don't know that. So we only hear it in Bugs Bunny. Uh, That's my soapbox. I'm stepping off it. No doubt we'll have another soapbox to step on on tomorrow's Page of the Week. Page.